We're going to take our text tonight from Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 6. This is right smack dab in the middle of the Beatitudes. Jesus is talking with his disciples and teaching uh, on the hillside. And verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We all want our homes to be blessed, not cursed, right? We want uh, our families to do well, and uh, you know we don't want to struggle. Uh, maybe you're going through things in your family right now. Maybe you're having a hard time, but we all want blessing to come into our families. And so in this season of the coronavirus, most of us are stuck at home. We've been spending more time around our families than we're accustomed to. We're fighting off the coronavirus. We're fighting off cabin fever, too. We're, we're looking for stuff to do. Monopoly is getting played at our house. I don't know what you're doing at your house to deal with it. But maybe, just maybe in the middle of all this, your family has been peaceful. Maybe everyone is pulling together and doing their part. The dishes are staying washed. Maybe your kids are getting along. Uh, the laundry staying clean and folded. Everybody is just... You know, like uh, happy as they can be. And, and, and then again, maybe that is not your story. Maybe this shelter-in-place order is exposing the cracks in your family's armor. Maybe the tensions are high at your house and you've already got on each other's last nerve last Tuesday. <laughs> maybe your nerves are shot. Maybe your temper is short. Uh, there's a little girl uh, that was at school, and, and she said to her teacher, her teacher was talking about how parents yell at their children, and she said, my parents never yell at the children. They never yell. Uh, and she says, well, that's wonderful. She says, that's, that's right. They never yell at the children. They yell at, uh, at each other. And so uh, maybe that is what your family looks like. Maybe everybody's getting on each other's nerves. Maybe uh, fear is plaguing your thoughts, and not knowing how things will turn out is robbing you of your peace. Maybe you have found it hard to make your home a spiritual place and you are having a hard time feeling God at home like you do when you go to church. Well, this series is all about bringing blessing into your homes and into your families. In Matthew chapter 5, the text we just read in the Beatitudes, there are eight characteristics that Jesus mentions of those who are blessed. And so throughout this series, we're going to look at four of those characteristics and how they can bless our homes, how we can apply them and come out of this coronavirus shutdown stronger than we went in. So this week, we're going to talk about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Then we're going to come next week and we're going to talk about blessed are the pure in heart. Then we're going to talk about being peacemakers. And then finally in our last week, what to do when we are persecuted. And so this week we are, are taking our topic from the scripture we read just a few moments ago. On blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, you have to be hungry for the right things. Only the hungry are blessed. Why are they blessed? Luke 6.21 tells us they are blessed because when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you shall be 
filled. Jesus is saying that if we develop a hunger and thirst for righteousness, He will fill our hearts, He'll fill our minds, and He'll fill our homes up with the righteousness of God. And so God is in the business of filling up people who are hungry for righteousness. He wants to bring peace and hope and joy to your house and to your home. And so I I open up tonight and I want to ask you a tough question. In your home, what are you hungry for? I'm not talking about Oreos or pizza. You've probably eaten your way uh, through all of the groceries and the snacks that you bought for this uh, shut, shut down time. But I, that's not what I'm asking. But what are you hungry for? What are you spending your time and your energy pursuing? If someone were to pull your kids aside where you couldn't hear them, what, and they ask, what does your family hunger for? What is mom and dad spending their time and energy on? What would your kids say? This week, we spent our time and our energy working hard so that we could play hard. We spend our time and energy living and, and working and doing everything so that when the weekend comes, we could have fun and, and live an adventure. We, we spent this week pursuing entertainment. We spent our week trying to have fun and take our mind off of everything else. What is it that we were pursuing this week? Maybe it's image. Maybe it's your Instagram or your Facebook page and you're, you're putting up this perfect image. You're fighting with each other but you're putting up this perfect image on Facebook and, and you're trying to show everybody how great you're doing. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe it's likes and clicks and all of those things. But I want to tell you tonight that the average family does not hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'm going to say that again. The average family doesn't hunger and thirst after righteousness. If we're really honest with ourselves, we get caught up in the cares of life and in everything that's going on and, and with the kids around and, and the family close, we get stuck in these molds that are hard to break out of because no one is naturally spiritually hungry. And so we ask this, why, why don't more people hunger and thirst for righteousness? The reason that many people do not hunger is because they are already filled. They are filled with other things that they've been hungry for. They are filled with all of the sparkly things of the world and they have no room left in their appetite for God. Listen, the other day we ventured out on Saturday to the grocery store and I made the mistake of going to the grocery store with my wife while I was hungry. And if you've ever grocery shopped while you're hungry, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I wanted to buy everything on every aisle. Everything looked good. We walked past the sushi. That looked good. Grocery store sushi, I know. We walked past the steak. I said, mm, man, it would be good to grill a steak. Man, that sounds fantastic. We, we, I wanted to buy it all. I wanted to have it all. I wanted to eat it all right then and there. But we finally made it over to the frozen goods aisle, and I grabbed a key lime pie, and I slipped it into the cart. Jocelyn said, we don't need that. And I wasn't having it. Not today. Not in my life. Not today, Satan. I was hungry. And the only thing in the world that I wanted at this moment was that key lime pie. Thank you, Jesus. Take this whole world, but give me key lime. Amen. The reason I was hungry is because I was not yet full. 
And on the other hand, we've all been offered food when we already ate and when we're already full. And nothing sounds good. Everything sounds terrible. Never uh, try to plan your next meal when you're stuffed full because nothing sounds good. There's no interest, no appetite. You couldn't give me 10 key lime pies when I'm stuffed full of other uh, food and of other things. And so Luke 6, 25, Jesus says this. He says, woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Do you see what's happening here? As Jesus says, those who have filled themselves up will one day end up hungry. But those who have emptied themselves, they will be filled. Jesus is saying that full people are not hungry people, but they will be because the time will come when they wish that they wouldn't have filled up on all that junk food and they really desire something that will sustain them, something that is real and they wish that they hadn't spent their appetites pursuing all of the wrong things in life and pursuing careers and and pursuing money and pursuing popularity and pursuing entertainment and there, there will come a day where they were full but now they're empty because they chose the wrong stuff and now they desire something that is real maybe you're thinking that that's all good but but preacher I am not naturally spiritual you know we have a hard time bringing God into our conversations it's hard it, ta- it goes against the grain to pull the family together and spend time with one another in prayer more than good Lord, good meat, uh, good Lord, let's eat. Uh, uh, more than, than just our passing moments of prayer or now I lay me down to sleep. So, so how do we change what we're hungry for? Listen, in order to be hungry for the right things, you have to empty your life of the wrong things. First, you have to stop eating the wrong stuff. Anything that you desire more than God, you've got to reduce your appetite for. The Bible says it this way. It says that we should repent, that we should destroy, that we should burn, that we should smash it. Whatever you must do to get rid of the thing that is pulling at your heart more than God. He said, whatever you've got to do, get rid of it. Because repentance is emptying your heart. And it's changing your mind. It's saying, I'm not going to eat the wrong stuff anymore. When you go on a diet, the only way, the only way for the diet to work is to stop eating the wrong stuff. And then it's to start eating the right stuff. Don't leave an empty void after you take down the idolatry in your life. But replace your wrong appetite with the right appetite, with service to God, service in prayer, Reading the word, reading good books, going to church services online, of course, during this shutdown. Meeting with godly people, calling people that connect with your faith on the phone. That's what we need to start. We we need to stop chasing all the wrong stuff and get our heart and our mind focused on the kingdom of God. And when we begin to do that, we've got to make up our mind. I can't tell you how many diets that I've started, but I haven't finished. Because my mind wasn't made up. I wanted to get skinny, but I didn't want it when the Oreos got put in front of me. (laughs) I wanted to get skinny, but I didn't want it when it came time to eat a meal. Well, maybe next meal I'll eat right. Listen, when we make up our mind and purposely set our mind on the things of God and we don't let it wander, 
we will begin to feel passionately about whatever we direct our attention towards. And so we have to take control of our mind and we have to get our minds and our hearts in the right place. We have to make room and make a dedication and make a commitment that our house is going to be a house where God is welcome. And so there are a couple things that don't work. When we're trying to create spiritual hunger in our family, there are a couple things I want to talk about shortly that don't work. What doesn't work? First of all, I'll tell you, That legalistic Christianity does not work. What is legalistic Christianity? It is rules-based Christianity. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't breathe fresh air, don't do anything, don't sin, don't do that, don't look at this, don't go there. And listen, God indeed gives us commands to follow in Scripture. But when we become legalistic, we are religious without relationship. And we begin to believe that if we follow the rules correctly, God will be pleased. Even if we're not a worshiper, even if we're not praying, even if we're not seeking, as long as we are following the guidelines. That is legalistic Christianity because it paints God as a relentless rule enforcer rather than a relentless redeemer. So why why doesn't legalism work? Why doesn't it stir up the hunger in your children and in your family? The reason that legalism doesn't work is because that rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with my son a few weeks ago, and he was telling me about a substitute teacher who was very nice. And I started thinking back that kids always classify teachers this way. They're either mean or they're nice. They don't care about their resume. They don't care about their credentials or their effectiveness. There's just two categories for children when it comes to their teachers. Is she a mean teacher or is she a nice teacher? And when we are raising our kids, we have to be careful not to paint God as the mean teacher in the sky who's more concerned with rules than relationship. Because the truth is God is a loving God. He does not want to punish anybody. God doesn't want to punish anybody. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And and when listen, when when people feel like they can never do enough to please God, they begin to tune out spiritually and they begin to rebel against the will of God because they don't see God for who he is and for what he's doing. You know, if we want spiritual hunger in our homes, We must show our families that God is gracious and He's kind. That He loves us and pursues us to redeem us from sin. It's not that God wants to enforce His rules. It's that He wants to save us from the damage and destiny that sin creates in our life. And so He's not the great rule enforcer in the sky, but He is the Redeemer of mankind. That loved us so much that he left eternity's throne and came and laid down his life on the cross to redeem us and save us from our own sins. Does God call us away from sin? Yes. But it's because he loves us and cares about us. And when we have no relationship with God and all we see are rules, it stirs up rebellion. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. The second thing that doesn't work to stir up hunger in our families is lukewarm Christianity. 
Lukewarm Christianity can be defined as believing in God, believing in Jesus, but living like everyone else. Lukewarm Christianity is neither hot nor cold. In fact, if you ask a lukewarm Christian family and you, you challenge them on their faith, what they're going to say is, we go to church. We go to church. Yes, we do. That is the mantra of a lukewarm Christian. I go to church. You see, a lukewarm Christian's relationship status with God is it's complicated because sometimes they want what's right, but more of the time they don't want what's right. And so if you want to create a hunger in your family for God, passive Christianity that relies on preachers and praise teams for every moment of fellowship with God that will never get it done. It'll never stir up your kids to live for God passionately. It'll never invite God into your marriage when you're lukewarm. And so here is how you know if you're lukewarm. How long has it been since you prayed as a family? How long has it been since there was a movie or a show on and it just didn't click with your Christian spirit and so... You turned off that movie or show. How long has it been since you said no to something that doesn't fit with your values and your direction in life as a follower of Jesus Christ? How long has it been since you shared a Bible verse with a family member or a friend or invested time together to serve the kingdom of God? Listen, if, if the answer is that you can't remember the last time that any of those things happened, it is a sign that you've grown lukewarm in your faith. Jesus said, I would prefer, I would rather that you were either hot or that you were cold rather than to be lukewarm. And he says, and if you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Listen to this. Jesus would rather us be totally lost than almost saved. Legalism doesn't create spiritual hunger. And neither does lukewarm Christianity. And so what, what does work? How can we bring blessing of God into our home? What does work? Listen, here's what works. Is when you decide that we are not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. We're not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. Jesus is not just a part of our lives, but Jesus is the center of our life. I love what uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 63.1. He said this, he said, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. He says, God, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty for you. Everything that I am is looking for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land. How does that look when you apply it to a family? Here's a family version of this scripture. It says this. It says, you God are our God. Lord, we earnestly seek you. We thirst for you. And our whole family longs for you. That's our prayer in this series is that your home would be blessed with the presence of God. 
so that when we can't meet in the church and when we can't get together because of circumstances, that there is a uh, center of your home that is Jesus Christ, that you and your family know how to get in touch with the presence of God. You, God, are our God. Imagine what it would sound like if we said it honestly and where we're at sometimes in our life. You, career advancement, are my God. And my whole being longs for our, Or you, Instagram followers, are my God. Or you, new car, new house, are, are my God. You see, listen, Christianity doesn't work unless Jesus is at the center of it all. We can't just be a Christian family. People who go to church and identify with a religion. We must be a Christ centered home. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God began to speak to the children of Israel. And, and this is the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. It is uh, the apex of the belief of the Jewish people in their covenant with God. And in verse 4, God speaks to them and He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. God says, there is only one God. I am your God. And he said, you shall love me with all of your heart, your soul, and all of your might. And, and in the middle of all of that, he, he's trying to let us know that we are not to love him just occasionally, but with everything that we have and everything that we do. And so parents, husbands, wives, it's our job to help our family see God as loving, as approachable, and as involved. He isn't just something that we talk about. He is someone that we have a relationship with. He's not just someone we hear about when we go to church on Sundays, but he's someone that is a part of the fabric of our lives. Deuteronomy 6 continues and he says, Listen, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Jesus needs to be a part of the conversations of our life. He isn't just something we talk about. He's someone that we have a relationship with. The other night as I sat by Rowan, uh, we, were, we were getting ready to pray for bed and we were talking, he had made some mistakes that day, and we were talking, and kind of out of the blue, he said, Dad, he said, I think I want to be baptized again. I said, why is that, son? He said, you know, he said, Dad, I've made so many mistakes, and I've messed up so many times, and I feel like there's just so many things that I need to be cleansed of in my life. What an opportunity I saw in that moment. As we were talking, as he thought, if I could just go back again and be baptized, I could be clean again. And so I took the opportunity, being a preacher, to jump in and say, you know what? You don't have to be baptized again. All you have to do is you have to repent and come to God with an open and honest heart and say, God, I have messed up. I've failed. I've wanted and desired the wrong things. I've gone down the wrong path. But Lord, what I really want down deep, what I really want is you, God. 
that's what I really want. I told him if he would just lay down in his bed and talk to God on his own time, that God is quick. He is not resistant or reluctant to forgive us our sins. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. It was one of those moments that Deuteronomy 6 was talking about. We were just living a normal part of our day. And suddenly God came into the room as we began to talk. And tears began to fill his eyes and we prayed together. And listen, that, that's what God wants for our homes. I don't say that to brag because so many times we fail and we get distracted and we don't find the time. And we, we are at each other's throats and we're stuck in the same house and relationships haven't gotten better. They've gotten worse. But listen... God wants us to hunger and thirst after righteousness because if we'll get hungry for the right thing, God will fill us. God will give us exactly what we're looking for. And so I want to give you three simple ways as I close to develop hunger in your family. First, involve God in your daily conversations. This is what God was talking about in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. When he said, I want you to talk about them when you sit in your house. Listen, if you've been in this shutdown and you spend every day and you haven't found time for prayer, hollow out a family prayer night. But we've got to get God in our daily conversations. Instead of saying, man, I sure am glad the weather's beautiful today. Let's say it this way. Look how God has blessed us with this weather today. Look how good God is to us. Instead of saying... I'm so glad I got that raise. Say, look how God blessed me financially. Look how God has kept us when we're healthy and when we're safe. We need to draw our conversations to God and put God in the middle of what we're talking about. And the things that we learn from the scriptures, we need to share them with one another. That is how we can develop hunger. Second, you need to make church non-negotiable. Make church non-negotiable. Don't let church sit on the back burner of your family's life. Your kids should never have to ask, are we going to church? Are we going to watch the online service today? No, that's, that's not even a question. Why? Because we are not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. And so if church is happening, Jesus is at the center of our life. Even coronavirus can't keep us from church. Because if we can't go to the building, we're going to have church online. And if we can't even get online to work, we're going to open up our Bible. We're going to pray because we are not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. Church is non-negotiable. It's at the forefront of everything that we do and everything that we are. We're not going to miss out on an opportunity to fellowship with like believers and to worship the God who has all of our heart. Church is non-negotiable. And if you will involve God in your daily conversations and you'll make church non-negotiable, God will show up. I'm thankful that my parents made a declaration when I played sports that church is always first. And listen... I missed games, sometimes I was late to others, I missed practices, but I never missed worshiping God for a game. Why? Because it's who we are. We are a Christ-centered family. Jesus is at the center of everything that we do. And listen, the third thing that I want to tell you is you need to show your kids and your family how seeking and serving God brings joy. Joy in worship. Joy 
and fellowship. Joy in taking part in those things. If you will show your family the joy of living for God. They will never ha- you'll never have to worry about hard conversations because if we're pursuing the one who is good, the one who is loving, who is kind, guess what? Your children are going to learn what is good and what is kind and, and what really matters in life. And so as I close today, I want to leave you with this scripture in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Joshua stood before the people of God who were in a valley of decision, wondering which way that they would go, which way are we going to turn from here. And Joshua says this, Joshua says, Then choose you for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Choose today who you will serve. And Joshua spoke up, he said, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know what you're going to do, and I don't know what you're going to do, and I don't know what they're going to do, and I don't know what the neighbors are going to do, but Joshua said, I don't care what anybody else does. I don't care if the government shuts us down for six months. As for me and my house, we are going to serve God. Even if we failed up to this time, even if we haven't expressed our faith openly and we've been too shy to talk about it, even if we've been struggling, even if our relationships are tense and fear is overwhelming us, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're choosing today to be a family that is a Christ-centered family. We're not just relying on church services. We're not just going to rely on what a preacher says once or twice a week, but we are a Christ-centered family. And so right now, I want you just to lift up your hands if you feel that that's uh, uh, what you want to do, or bow your head, and we're going to pray right now. God, I pray in the name of Jesus across this city, God, as this message goes out, Lord, that hearts would begin to change, Lord, that hearts and minds would begin to be open, Lord, that we would begin to choose that you are going to be the center of our home. That you're going to be at the center of all that we do, God. We're going to love you with all that we have. That everything that is within us is going to serve you, God. We give ourselves, our homes, our hearts, our lives to you. God, we pray for our children. God, that our children would be blessed. God, that our children would grow up knowing the presence of God in our households, God. We pray in the name of Jesus over our marriages, God, that the presence of God would be in our marriages, Lord, that we would feel free to pray together with one another, God, that we would feel natural to lead one another into places of spiritual growth, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray for our homes today, God, that the blessing of God And the favor of God would rest upon it. And God, let our hunger shift. God, let our desires shift. Lord, more than anything, in this hour, we want to serve you. We want to live for you. Amen.